I've actually used those three readings, which we're going to look at in a bit more detail later on, um, really as uh, an exposition, if you like, of one verse in Hebrews 9, because I'm going to go back to Hebrews chapter 9 that I started a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we're just going to look a bit more in, uh, in, in Hebrews 9. Do you remember last time we looked at um, verses 11 and 12, which uh, read thus, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not made with man, that's to say not a part of this creation, and then he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And if you remember, we looked at this whole question of redemption, and the fundamental idea behind it was, it was the payment of a price. There was a price to be paid, and then we looked at Romans where we found the wages of sin was death, and it was that wage, that debt, that the redemption covered. And then we look back in Leviticus chapter 17, where we found that God had given blood specifically in order to obtain redemption. And it says later in this verse, in this passage in Hebrews, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And we looked at the two goats, if you remember, um, which is referred to in, uh, in um, uh, verse 12 of Hebrews, the two goats from Leviticus 16, the, the, the sacrifice of the two goats. The first goat uh, was slain and the blood was placed on the altar and that was speaking of atonement and the high priest identified the sins of the people with that first goat and then the second goat, which was the scapegoat, was cast off into the wilderness and that's picked up, I think it's by, by Isaiah, who says, our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. And so what we found there was that our Christ was our substitute and our sins were identified as we placed our hands on the substitute on Christ as it is in the New Testament and on the goats as it was in the Old Testament. So really that was the sort of nub of, of salvation, I guess, that we are saved through the blood shed the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we looked briefly at who Christ was, because, as I said last week, some people find that difficult, that why should a third person take out our, our punishment? And the point is, it wasn't a third person. It was God himself in Christ. Christ who became man at the incarnation. And that's why it was perfectly legal and righteous for God to take upon himself our sin. And that very often is where we sort of finish the, the gospel story, I guess. And I think, in many ways, that's a great mistake. Because certainly that's the bedrock of the gospel, the bedrock of salvation. But if you go into verse 15, it says this. For, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he's died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So Christ came to save us from our sin, but he also came to save us for things as well. And what I want to look at really is, is, is that, past, that, that phrase in verse 15, that we may receive the promised inheritance. 
In chapter 8 of Romans, we're told this, that we are God's children and we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And so Christ's inheritance is as much for us as it is for him. We share in his inheritance. And I just want, want to just to think for a few minutes this morning about the nature of that inheritance. Um, Dorothy read uh, from 1 Peter, and it said there, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, can never spoil, and can never fade. And it's kept in heaven for you. So this inheritance that we're called to can never spoil, it can never uh, fade, and, it, and it's, 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 it can't perish. It's, it's there, and God is keeping it for us. So what is this inheritance? If we look at the second reading, which was the second, the two Peter reading, it gives us a bit more information. And in chapter 3 and verse 14... Sorry, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And I wonder what your sort of conception is as to what is the future that God's place got for you. I wonder if you think about where this all ends up. What's God actually going to do? And what's your part in it? Because it's the most exciting thing that we can imagine. So God's got this inheritance, which is never going to fade. It's not going to perish. It's not going to go away. And it's going to be in a new heaven and a new earth. People seem to think that we're going to sort of sit on little clouds somewhere in the ether. And that's very often the picture you sort of get depicted but there's a, a hymn by, uh, I think it's John Wesley, who says this, that in Christ the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. And what, that, what he's saying there is, what God did in Eden, what God did at the beginning, is nothing compared to what he's going to do in the future. And you and I are part of that. And we need to get hold of this fact that salvation is so much more than just coming to church. It's even so much more than being forgiven. Because forgiveness is just the start of what God is doing. It's not all about forgiveness. That's key. It's important. But it's so much more. And that's what I really want us just to, just to think about for a few minutes. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for you. God, the almighty God, has taken this tremendous trouble at the cost of the death of his own son 
to prepare something for you. And I wonder how much we sort of think about, well, you know, what is it that God's doing? What is this wonder? Am I really sort of gripping hold of just what God has done for me? I'm going to read a a, a short passage from 1 Corinthians. And um, it just gives a bit more more information, really. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 and onwards. And it says this. So will it be for the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonour, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. But note, it's raised a spiritual body. It's not some sort of disembodied spirit floating around in heaven. So we're going to be going to a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to be totally renewed and we're going to have new bodies. Have you ever thought about what God has got in store for you? You're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll look at the nature of that new heaven and that new earth in a moment. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Christ, a life-giving spirit. So we died in Adam, but we have eternal life with Christ. We lost paradise in Adam. In Christ, we got paradise restored. But it's on a new heaven, and it's a new earth, and it's going to be perfect. And we'll look at that a bit in a minute. If you go on to verse 49 of the passage, it says this. Just as we've borne the likeness of the earthly man, i.e. Adam, so we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven, i.e. Christ. At the moment, we bear Adam's likeness and we suffer all the slings and, what is it, whatever, arrows of outrageous fortune. All the stuff that brings us down, all the illnesses, all the problems that we have, are all a result of Adam. But we will now bear the likeness of the man from heaven, and he is perfect. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, in other words, we won't all die, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable must clothe itself with the, sorry, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that's written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. So we all go through death, and death seems to have won. But no, we will all be raised, and we will all be changed, and we will all be made fit to live in this new heaven and this new earth. And we will have bodies that are fit to do that. 
And they won't be subject to disease and death and sorrow and sadness. We'll look at that in a, bit, in a moment. But we are going to be changed. And at the moment, you know, we all have our aches and pains and, and all the rest of it. It won't happen. God will deal with all those things. And this is what the promise is. This is part of the inheritance. I'm only looking at one part of the inheritance. There's a lot more I could look at. So we're just going to look at this one area. But this is part of the inheritance. That we will be finally with Christ, like Christ, forever. Philippians says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him will bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So our lowly bodies are going to be transformed. It's a bit like Jesus at the Transfiguration, you remember? There was this tremendous change. That's not the same, but it, it's, it sort of gives you an idea, a picture really, that there will be this tremendous change and our bodies will be totally fitted for what God has prepared for each one of us. In uh, Romans chapter 8, it says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not the glory that will be revealed to us, but the glory that will be revealed in us. So we're part of this. We're not going to be spectating. God is doing this in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. One older translation says, the whole creation is standing on tiptoe, watching to see what God is going to do in your life and my life. Because the whole creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So what God is doing, this inheritance, is going to be to completely transform creation itself. At the moment, creation is subject to thorns and all the, all the again, all the sort of problems that, that we're so aware of. But this creation, as well as us, is going to be transformed and we're going to be part of that and we're going to be fitted by by God for that purpose. We'll have new spirits, new bodies. We've already been changed inwardly but we're now going to be changed outwardly and we're going to be fitted for what God is wanting us to do. And, And it talks there about having a glorious liberty. At the moment there are so many things that hold us back but there will be a glorious liberty we won't have to worry about all the frustrations all the limitations that we have at the moment and this glory as I say is going to be revealed not to you but in you it is going to be absolutely amazing as, as that Corinthian passage said I has not seen You know, we just cannot understand it 
but we can see glimpses of what God is going to do. If you're following it in the Bible, if you turn over to Revelation 21, um, and verses 1 to 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, why would there no longer be any sea? Well, sea is a picture of turbulence of trouble, of confusion. And what the writer is saying here is, they will be gone. There will be peace, perfect peace. So there's a new heaven and a new earth, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So who is the bride? Well, you are the bride. I am the bride. Who is God's building? You are God's building. I am God's building. And we find here that this holy city, this new Jerusalem, is coming down from heaven and it's prepared as a bride, beautifully, beautifully dressed for her husband. <coughs> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. <coughs> I'm making everything new. And he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. So this new heaven and this new earth that we're going to be dwelling in will have God actually in the centre. God himself will be with them and be their God. So no longer will God be far off. God will actually be here with us. And that's where this salvation is leading to. As I said, there's just so much more to salvation than forgiveness and church. There's this whole change, this whole wonderful change. And then if you go on to verse 22 of this chapter. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. We won't need to go to church. We won't need to go to church, because God will be in our midst. Christ will be in our midst. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's a picture here of, it's difficult to know quite how this works out in practice, but there's a picture here of the nations, which are presumably redeemed nations, 
bringing all their goodness into the city. Because nothing impure can enter it. But the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And we won't need sun or moon or anything to light us because God will be all the light that we need. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Again, this is picture language. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So this is what's waiting for us. This is where it's all leading to. And in that Isaiah passage that we read, it said, They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It will be totally changed, totally different, totally glorious. Now, we often get accused of, um, you know, the Christian faith is all pie in the sky until we die. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can sort of live like that. We can get to the stage where, yeah, my sins are forgiven. It's all sorted. I don't need to worry about anything else. But we really ought to sort of think about, well, where is it all leading to? Because then that will do certain things. And I just got three or four minutes just to finish off this last bit, if I can open the page here. Um, in, uh, there's a well-known passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that says this. Because what we need to recognise is that these things are future, but they should be having an impact on our lives now. So that we should be being changed. And Paul says this. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is what should be happening. We should be preparing ourselves for this glorious inheritance that's provided for us. We shouldn't just say, well, oh, that's wonderful, but I'll just live as, just carry on living as, as I normally do. So what? We should be preparing ourselves and being prepared for this new creation. And it says, as we reflect, the, we, it says we reflect the Lord's glory and we're being transformed into his likeness. And I was thinking about that and it occurred to me that we reflect the Lord's glory as we reflect on the Lord. And if we don't reflect on the Lord, we're not going to reflect that glory. And so we need to think about, well, how do I relate to Christ in my daily living? Am I growing? And if I'm not, is it because I'm not reflecting on Christ, that I'm not giving enough attention to him 
and to my spiritual development. Because it is sort of pie in the sky till we die if it doesn't affect our lives now. You know, there, there are these wonderful things that are available to us, but the challenge is, are we preparing ourselves for these things? And what should be happening is, we should be being transformed. And just how we do that, well, just again, a, a quick uh, passage from Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So unfortunately, there is effort required. In the first service, we were looking at running a marathon. And um, there's no point in trying to run a marathon if you haven't put in the hours, as it were. And it's a bit like that with the Christian life, really. If we really want to know God, if we really want to know him changing us and us being changed and renewed and growing and developing, then it means that we do have to use our minds. Our minds are not going to be... I, I was watching something on television the other day and um, there was this girl who was probably in the late 30s and she couldn't... She was getting tremendous back pain and couldn't understand why. And when they did an x-ray and when they did the x-ray of her, her spine there was lots of fatty deposits around the spine which demonstrated that she hadn't been doing any exercise. And therefore her back and her spine hadn't developed. And... The Christian life is like that. If we really want to grow, and if we want to develop, then we need to exercise. And as we do, we can then begin to get a bigger grasp of just all these glorious things that God's provided. Because we ought to be so excited, so full of this, that people can't stop us talking about it. God has provided for you a glorious eternity. A perfect eternity. He's, going to, he's renewing you inside. He's going to renew you outside. He's going to provide you with a new body. He's going to provide you with everything that you need to live eternally in his glory in heaven with him. So we need to recognize, really, that we are God's citizens, that we're God's children. We need to focus on what we've been saved from, the rule and the realm of sin, but we also need to focus on what we've been saved for. And we're saved primarily for fellowship with God. And that's what glory, and that's what the new heaven and the new earth is all about. That we will be made perfectly fitted to have a relationship and fellowship with God and his spirit living in us. So the question is, we've got this sure and certain hope, but is it a present reality? And how sure and certain are we, A, that we have this sure and certain hope, and what, what this hope looks like, what it's all about. Because that's really why these things are provided. And I'll just finish with just one passage. I won't comment on it, but I'll just read it from 2 Peter chapter 1, and it says this. His, that's God's, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us 
by his own goodness and glory. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate, you may participate in the divine nature. Imagine that. God is putting his divine nature within each one of us. That's what it means to be born again. It's not just sort of being born into something different. It's actually God's spirit renewing us and God living within us. That's why there's so much emphasis on the New Testament, the fact that we are in Christ, but also Christ is in us. He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to, and there's a series of addings, and it's not sort of adding like sort of one and one is two. It's, the idea is really furnishing. It's like if you've got a lovely room and you want to put lovely furniture and you add bits to it. And so... For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and godliness brotherly, brotherly kindness and so on. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I guess the challenge there is, do we feel that we are effective? productive do we ever think about that am I effective and productive in my knowledge of Jesus Christ